Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Voles, site manager at OneFootDown.com for the SB Nation Network. And with me tonight, as always, is Jude Seymour, senior editor here at One Foot Down. Jude, how's your night going? Very good. Thanks for having me on, as always. Yeah, it's a it's a Friday night. It's a dad night. <laughs> it's a great night to be a dad. Because guess who's not with us? Brad. You know where Brad's at? Brad's at the bar. <laughs> Brad is not a dad. <laughs> I think Brad's having, like, sexy time tonight or something, you know? Something uh, that we've long since passed up, but, uh, you know, <laughs> neither here nor there. What, what is going to the bar on Friday nights? I, I forgot what, the, what that concept is all about. Like, yeah. I think we have to get, get – your last kid has to be, like, a sophomore or junior in high school, right? Before you can go back to like living like a twenty year old, is that right? Yeah, that- oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you got you got to make sure that the the kiddos can uh, drive them drive you home, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the the baby, like he he can the, the know baby. that he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he can know that the last one left in the house can get dad out. But like the eldest one, the daughter, she still thinks that you know things are like still boring at home on Friday nights. She doesn't know about her youngest brother going to get her drunk ass dad. Who just fell off the bar? <laughs> you know, you always uh, are one child for one particular thing. You know, I hear you, man. <laughs> All right, so tonight uh, we we got a few things we want to talk about. Uh, you know, I don't know where this concept is from some people about podcasts only like reserved for like breaking news. I, I hear that on a few Notre Dame podcasts. Like, well, you know, we we don't know if there's going to be any kind of real news. When the hell has that ever given you a reason not to talk about Notre Dame football when there's like nothing going on? Am I right? I we managed to talk about the most random things. Sometimes not even even tangentially related to Notre Dame football. So uh, yeah, I think I'm like a pro at that shit, right? I I think you know for people that like this kind of uh, chatter, uh, I think it's uh, well received. So yeah, so I mean, I mean, if there's moments where we're just talking completely out of our ass. I mean, that's okay. This is, look, my whole philosophy on on running a site and, and writing, and w- look, Jude is not a fan of my writing because I am all over the map. But basically, <laughs> my writing is like half-buzzed Josh at the bar talking about Notre Dame. It, it's, it's okay. I, you know, I have a strong point, and then I get railroaded. And somehow, <laughs> like, maybe five minutes later, I, I route it back out to it, and it is what it is. So, <laughs> but uh but there's plenty of stuff to talk about, and um, but we do have you know a little bit of news uh, that dropped, and and that was um, the tax reports from 2017 came out, and there was a I won't say shocking, but uh, there was a few kind of you know eyebrows raised at some of the information that Notre Dame gave out gave out. Now, Judy, you posted the story. Uh, what am I alluding to here? What what were some of the kind of the uh, the juicier tidbits from uh, the nine nineties. Yeah, the yeah, I'm IRS a tax form. So. Yeah, the, <laughs> the IRS form nine ninety. It's it's sort of um, uh, it's like the university showing a little leg. You know, it's a it's a peek behind the wizard's curtain. Uh, really, our only chance to get to see how uh, some of the sausage is made. And I think because the one because it's a private university and not everything is public record. Right. Absolutely. 
And so, um, you know, one of the things that I think all uh, writers, including myself, gravitate towards is there's a section called highest compensated employees. Um, and typically that's where you find um, Muffet McGraw, Mike Bray, Brian Kelly salaries. Uh, last year, Brian Van Gorder salary was on there because he got a, I think it was a $257,000 go away payment. Um, and then this year, um, Is that again, we're, we're, <laughs> we run about 18 months behind on these. So this is this is the time period, July 1st, 2017 to June 30th, 2018. Um, and so this would be the, the the one Mike Elko year. And that's what we what we saw actually was um, that Elko was compensated just shy of one point five million dollars. Now, I want you guys to go back to remembering um uh, beginning of January of 2018, uh, when he when Elko took a job with the Texas A&M Aggies, there was a lot of talk about <clears throat> um, Notre Dame is not willing to pay its assistants uh, a market a proper market value, and Elko, you know, should have shown some. And there was back and forth, right? Some people yeah, said like Elko should have shown some I believe loyalty. Two different times, Notre Dame up the up the offer two times, and then Elko came back for a third time. And basically, like, you got to be you got to be shitting me. Like, no, (laughs) I mean, it reminds me of my wife. She likes to wheel and deal when we get our new cars and stuff like that. At some point, one of the car dealers will say, if you can get that deal, you should definitely take it. And it's this like it's sort of calling people out for it's separating the fakers from the people who can actually, you know, wheel and deal. Uh, So sometimes people are faking. But in the case of Elko. My was made to understand that he received $2 million in compensation from Texas A&M. And again, that as a base compensation would have put him over what Brian Kelly is paid by the university. Now, I'm going to put a huge asterisk on this because people get wigged out, right? When I say that Brian Kelly um, earned $1.665 million from the university, I'm not saying Brian Kelly only had $1.665 million go into his bank account, right? The university has this huge, uh, you could drive a Mack truck through this this little uh, sentence here. It says, you know, the Kelly's permitted to receive compensation from external sources and that because the university is not party to those agreements, it's not reflected on the tax form. So, for example, uh, Kelly has a sponsorship deal uh, with, with an organization for what he wears on the field or, uh, you know, what kind of uh, lip balm he uses or something like that. The university is not involved. So he gets money in excess of, of that amount. So right, and, I, and I think, <clears throat> hold on, I, I want to pause this for one second sure. with you. So I think a lot of people get confused because they're, I think they look at that like, well, those are shit. Those are just endorsements. So couldn't he get, couldn't he get those? Cause any coach just get endorsements. But and yes, that is that is true on some of those things. But some of the other external money is external money that's basically only affiliated with the Notre Dame head football coach. So, I mean, this is Notre Dame football is a giant business uh, and that's outside of the university. Plenty of people, uh, yours included, make money off of Notre Dame athletics that isn't associated with the university. But so those Notre Dame is courting a coach or, or they're, they're talking dollars and cents. They know the figures from those people, what they will pay them. And that gets figured into like their overall compensation. It, it's some of that isn't like the, like the, um, like the weekly, sh- like the weekly coaches shows 
that, that's a, that's another thing that's that's an external source of money. You know, they get paid to do that. So there's a difference between endorsements and then just some other external stuff. It, did I say it? I'm pretty correct there, right, Jude? Yeah, I mean, that's my understanding as well. So again, we don't know that. Not only do we not know what that amount is for Brian Kelly, we don't know what that amount is for any other coach. Okay, so it's not like um, the coaches are releasing their tax returns and the tax returns are being made public or whatever. So people get upset when you say things like, well, Brian Kelly was the 48th highest paid coach. I'm just I'm making up a number, although he typically is in the, between the kind of the 40s and 50s in terms of base compensation, because people say, well, that's not an accurate reflection. Well, I also don't know what the 40 coaches above him made in terms of, um, you know, compensation from external sources. And and so, you know, some of that stuff, sometimes you hear about, you know, sometimes the the external sources as they would, the third party sources, they make that a big deal. And, you know, Darren Ravel tweets it out and you know the number, uh, but most of the times you don't know the number. So, uh, we can only do apples to apples, and that's what the university will pay their coaches. And again, would, I think Brian Kelly is satisfied with whatever amount of money he makes. But if you're asking me whether it's three million, four million, five million, or six million, I, I I couldn't tell you. And I don't think there's anybody besides outside of Brian Kelly's family who could tell you. Do you think his kids know? <laughs> you you know when you said Darren Ravel, all I saw, all I pictured in my mind was a goofy, goofy middle-aged guy running to his phone with a headband on. Uh, <laughs> God bless the internet. <laughs> so now did, did that strike one of the things in that uh, report? I, I can't, I don't think you had mentioned it was it showed that Brian Kelly made less in 2017 after a four and eight season. Uh, and, and that his compensation and Mike Elko's were very, similar is there anything like to look into that or, do you, or is that just out of pure coincidence or or just out of a uh contractually how things are paid out within a contract i mean just my takeaway was that the bonus structure must be on some sort of delay um because if you get six hundred thousand dollars in the reporting period between uh 2016 and 2017 which would be the four and eight season. And you got $150,000 for the reporting period between 2017 and 2018, which would be the 10 and three season. Uh, that doesn't seem to make sense. Right. So right. if, if you, if you, I, I would assume bonus and other incentives are for on field performance. I, I can't say that for certain, but it would stand to reason. Right. So, um, you know, they must be doing that on some sort of, uh, delay because of the way that maybe the fiscal year works versus the, 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 um, you know, the, the football season. Um, I would imagine that that $150,000 number goes up next year, possibly back to, uh, the $600,000 number, just because if you look at 2015, that was also a 10 and three year, uh, with a Fiesta Bowl appearance. So, you know, I would imagine that probably the incentives were about the same. Um, and so that I expected salary to go back up again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's weird to think that his, um, you know, although his base compensation remained unchanged and that was about 1.3 million, uh, that he actually made about half a million dollars less in this reporting period than he did in the previous year. So I'm sure that the, uh, $600,000 in bonuses took the sting out of, uh, uh, going four <laughs> and eight. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, I really don't think it's about 
all about money for Brian Kelly. Um, but it just, again, this is our, our one kind of peek behind the curtain. And I was talking with you before we hit record, I had forgotten or just never knew. And I want to share this with people. Um, Notre Dame was still paying Tyrone Willingham until, um, the period between July 1st, 2009 and June 30th, 2010, which just seems insane to me that they were, they had been giving him a $650,000, um, go away payment, um, from the time that he got fired to the, to that, to that year, which, which would which, have been, which means that they were paying both. They were paying Willingham Weiss and Brian Kelly, who was hired in December of 2009 at the same time. Yeah. I, so in, in July of 2010, three checks went out to three separate Notre Dame head football coaches. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it works that perfectly. I do. I come on. That <laughs> makes it better. We don't know, but imagine in your head and it's, just, it's, it's, it's pure gold. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. It's so funny. Cause I think of, I think of Charlie Weiss as being the boondoggle, the albatross around their neck, the story that was always written every single year Never about, just you know, Notre Dame still paying Charlie Weiss and he hasn't coached, you know, in 15,000 years. And <laughs> everyone just seemed to love that story except for, for Notre Dame people. And I think we were all glad when it went away and I think it was 2016 or 2017. Um, we were finally glad when that story went away. Um, I just didn't remember that this, this carried on for so long with Tyrone Willingham and just, Again, uh, you know, who knows what would what mean, you know, the end of Brian Kelly, if there's some sort of uh, golden parachute that's given to him at the end or whatever. But, um, you know, just somebody's going to write that story for a while if there is, you know, so. No, I think I think uh, I think Kelly's exit from Notre Dame will be there'll be a lot more. I don't know what you want to say grace or it's going to be a lot calmer because it's, it's basically going out on his terms. Uh, or Jack's terms, how, however you want to put that, um, you know, it's the, there, there isn't going to be the thing where he's fired with six years left on a contract. Uh, I think what, what, how much did he say he had three years left on a con on his contract now, and, and then he wants to do two more but, after that, I think. Right. So we, so I mean, take it for what it is. Unless they get a new contract worked out for that two year extension, there's only three more years to pay him. Here's one year. It would only be the, you know, if something would happens where they fire him after this year, or you know, then then you'd have that story for a couple of years. But they're not going to do that. You know, he may walk away, uh, but you know, walking away from a contract doesn't mean that that he's owed anything. Right, uh, that he's owed anything. Right, sure. right. So that makes sense. So yeah, so we get a breather finally from <laughs> from the Davy Willingham Weiss uh, trifecta of. Uh, basically stolen money right you know yeah, then, I mean, go ahead. no go ahead go ahead oh just yeah absolutely absolutely and i and i think that the other thing i wanted to point out was that i think it was a tweet that pete sampson from irish illustrated had made just this canard that you know Notre Dame isn't willing to open its checkbook to pay uh assistant coaches i mean i think that the i think elko getting just shy of 1.5 million dollars is is an amazing uh, gesture. And sometimes you just have to say when somebody says, comes back with you with a $2 million offer, Hey man, that sounds great. You got to take that, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of money for a guy. I mean, listen, Mike Elko is a, a really good defensive coordinator, but that's still a lot of money for a guy who, whose highest job was the defensive coordinator for Wake Forest. I mean, that's not exactly like a resume builder. Now, you know, he, he's 
he's always been considered, you know, solid throughout the, uh, you know, within the coaching ranks by everybody. But it's not like, you know, he's he was a defensive coordinator at, you know, uh, like Texas or, you know, or, or something like that, you know, Georgia or something like that. You know, coming from Wake Forest and that kind of money, that's that's quite a bit. Well, and it also, as we've we've seen in these tax forms, it also would have affected Brian Kelly's salary. You can't just give Mike Elko two million dollars and say to Brian Kelly, "Well, your base salary is still one point two nine million." Right. That doesn't make it doesn't make any sense, you know. So um, there would have been had would have had been a dramatic reshuffling, and and you know, look, I I I'm of the firm belief that Clark Lee, you know, and we'll find out next year what what they ultimately paid him for his first year. But I'm of the belief that, you know, Clark Lee has is, is stepped in nicely and and um, really eased that blow that everyone felt January 4th when Mike Elko walked out the door. Oh, my God, our defense is going to go back to Brian Van Gorder levels and we're never going to be good again. And, who you know, what are we doing hiring this person who has just been under a guy and he's never been a D.C. and, and all this. And, you know, frankly, I think last year bore out the fact that Clark Lee was more than capable. Two two other things from that story that uh, that stood out to me uh, was the fact that Scott Malpass makes some bank. Um, <laughs> yep. And I had I texted my brother in law who's a professor at Notre Dame and I was uh, like, "Hey man, uh, what are you gonna fall into that job?" <laughs> and, and his uh, uh, he's a math professor, so it, his quip back uh, was a very very short. Look, he's getting paid uh, market value. <laughs> yeah. Like, like almost in defense of that. Uh, but, you know, he, he makes bank because he, he, he makes the school bank. Uh, but the other thing that uh, that stood out was Muffet uh, base salary at, at one point five million. Um, you know, and we don't know what extra she makes uh, through incentives and all that. Uh, so, that, you know, that's really only just a hair over one hundred thousand dollars less than um, the Brian Kelly, which uh, to me seems pretty good. She's making more than Mike. Mike Bray. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's important. I, I, saw, to, I, I think I, I think that needs to stick. I think that needs to be talked about a little bit because yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's in this day and age, you're talking about to, quality pay and all this stuff. Well, hey, you know, here's a place where this this woman has won a national title and has been there for eons and has built this program to a national power. It's and unlike maybe at somewhere else, she is getting paid more than her counterpart. Um, her male counterpart on the, on the basketball court. Yeah. I mean, let me just be devil's advocate for just one second here. Um, her total package, as you mentioned, was 1.56 million and brace total package is 1.25 million. So and as far as what the university pays her, she's definitely making more than Mike Bray. The problem is we also know that Bray uh, has a deal with play by play sports, which is the multimedia marketing rights holder for Notre Dame, where he gets 1.15 million in addition to Right, 1.25 million, and I, Muffet I, only gets 300,000. So, there's in terms of you know who's who's uh, taking <laughs> home more, and they're and they're I guess all I'm saying check. is at least Notre Dame, the, the university itself, for what they pay, that's on the level outside sure. of that goes into market value. And I, I'm not going to dive too much into that because, uh, well, I mean, I think there's, it's there's fair no to say need, that women's sports saying, doesn't have as much of a market value as, as men's sports when it comes to basketball. I mean, right. I, I, I think I don't think it's being sexist to to point out the realities of the market. You well, know? someone will tell you that it is. I'm trying to avoid that particular insult thrown our way because it's, you know, it's, I know it's not how either. Oh my God, my Lord. Oh my off. Lord. Is there did fire? You, did you get that? No wonder yeah. I didn't wake up at 1035. 
Yeah, I better check the rest of them because I, I think that's yeah. I mean, important. again, it's it's reflective of her success on the court, and so right. I, I like I like the fact that she's compensated more than Bray because I think she's been more successful than Bray. You know, it was like my phone was letting us know you're we're diving too deep down the. Yeah. <laughs> like, just stop now. Um, but no, I I those those things stood out to me. You know, quite a bit actually. You know, we looking at it, so I'm glad yeah. that Notre Dame pays Muffet. Um, now we just need to get a statue parked right outside of Joyce for her. So bingo. All right. Yeah. And I, I wanted to mention this because we talked about this, uh, before the prop <laughs> for the podcast, you know, Notre Dame's co- coaches have not been really their football coaches over the last 20 years have not been good enough for people to come in and try to over, try to throw a big contract their way to make them leave. Um, so like, we look at this money, you know, with, you know, like Brian Kelly and all that stuff. And, you know, I guess you could look at that and wonder, well, how does that like a, you know, a, a an FBS program, a lot of, a lot of dough, uh, like a Texas A&M basically, you know, uh, you know, you don't win, really win anything, but you're going to go out and try to buy, buy your way through it. Why haven't they thrown Brian Kelly that money if he's so widely thought of? And it's because he makes more money than what it actually is. Um, but like, uh, but when we were talking about it, of course, we were bringing up Ty Willingham once again. Um, I don't think many people know that, you know, he had one foot out the door to Washington while he was at Notre Dame. And I, I brought it up to Jude. And I, I'm thinking, you know, the whole thing about firing him before his contract was over. Look, if he had one foot out his door and he was doing that, you know, that crappy of a job, wouldn't you like don't you drop person to someone before they drop you? Isn't that like, like you need to make sure you get that in before they do like to get that higher ground. I think that's what happened. Look, there's a book that I, I did a review for. Uh, it's called bow down. Uh, it's about Tyrone Willingham and, and his total desecration of the Washington Husky football program. And look, he was an awful coach and his time in Washington was probably worse than even at Notre Dame. Uh, they talk yeah, a lot probably, about him. definitely. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. He, he never went zero and twelve with them. So. <laughs> yeah, I talked a lot about him, not really knowing what position groups were about him practicing his golf swing during. I mean, this is a, this is a powerful, this is a historically strong program. Their head coach basically giving two shits less about what's going on, and this is the guy that was everyone was up and. You know, Michael Wilbon was just blasting. You know, Notre Dame was doing the wrong thing. You know, they did the right thing. And they probably actually did it a couple years sooner because this idiot was looking around to go elsewhere because the heat was getting him on a little bit to, that he actually had to work. So I just, I, I, I wanted to get that out there so bad because <laughs> that book came back in my head and it made me chuckle thinking about Ty with a golf club at a football practice. I think you, you, skip the to me the most interesting part of this is that your the book that you reviewed the subtitle of this book was how white guilt enabled a secretly malicious coach to destroy the once mighty washington huskies <laughs> that's a long subtitle <laughs> uh secretly like malicious. Really fun book like uh, See, it, once mighty I mean, they won. They were. They won a Rose Bowl in like 1997, right? They were co-champions maybe yeah, that they, year. Look, Washington is a is a strong West Coast program, and actually, I've been meaning to do a Throwback Thursday uh, just to include uh, certain things. 
there was a great uh, article on the athletic and it had um, it included these letters from uh, Moose Krause. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm telling if, if you're not a subscriber to the athletic, I'm not going to be one of those people that like, you're not a, but you, you really <laughs> ask you me know, about like, a code for 40% off. <laughs> listen, go do your free trial or whatever it is and find this article. Cause it's, this is like worth your time. Uh, it, but it has the letters. Um, I'm going to see if I can get those letters. I might do It's about the, the, the secret, the little pissing match that happened in. Yeah. It is fantastic. It's about fans being assholes. It's about all sorts of like, awesome little things that I never knew about. And it was some real, like it was some real, like uh, shade getting thrown <laughs> uh, each other's way there. Just, just the way that, uh, uh, that like uh, Moose would talk about Washington in his letter. Like, are they, they're the university of Washington. Right. And I think yep. in his letters, he, he described him as Washington university twice in one letter. Look, Moose was a very well credentialed man knew what he was writing. Knew, and these are, this is back in the day when people wrote letters, they wrote eloquent letters. These aren't, these aren't like two second emails. So he, he's throwing shade, calling them Washington university. And I'm like, Oh, this is fantastic. That's like, that's like the battle rap before battle raps. Is, is yeah. the way that it, these it was called the, down. the article is called the story of Washington's secret passive aggressive war of words with Notre Dame is by Jason Jenks. It came out last, last September. And it's, it's a great it's he just he greatly summarizes the correspondence that was going um, between uh, the athletic director, Harvey Cassell at uh, Washington. And then, yeah, Moose uh, over at, uh, at Notre Dame or whatever. And uh, <laughs> it, it started off as a um, in terms of the, the 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 referees, there was there was issues with the referees, if I was call, recall correctly. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, because Leahy said after the game. That basically that the referees tried to give the game to uh, Washington in spite of Washington's poor performance or whatever. And so um, Washington wrote a letter and was basically saying like, hey, we're, you know, um, sorry, you know, we're sorely disappointed at the comments attributed to Coach Leahy. <laughs> Moose <laughs> writes back and basically piss up a rope. You know? so, it was just, it was good. Yeah, that uh, that was that's worth your like free trial just alone. That, that article it's. It's such a nice piece of history, and I, and it is inspiring enough to me where I think over the off season I'm going to dive into a couple more historical things, um, uh, historical stories. Oh uh, yeah. So, so someone's shouting other, at me, know the history about Navy. <laughs> yeah. The other uh, the other thing that was great about this that I forgot was um, Washington had shown a um, uh, like clips, movie clips of the way Notre Dame played uh, defense or like like you know, like plays that you could call as penalties one way or another. And so they were, tr so Leahy felt like they were trying to influence the way they, they called the game later in the day by, by, you know, Washington to have this, this like, uh, uh, meeting you know, like almost an ex parte communication. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. So yeah, definitely read it. It was good. It's good. Fantastic. So, <laughs> somehow we get, somehow we get into a freaking athletic promo, uh, <laughs> from Brian Kelly's contract. I, I, don't know how that happens. <laughs> the answer, as always, is Ty Willingham. Yeah, Ty Willingham. He'll he'll bring it. He'll bring it around no matter what. So, uh, <laughs> moving on just a bit, we're going to take just a, uh, a a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, um, we're going to 
dive away from things that uh, don't include Ty Willingham. So uh, stay with us. All right. Okay, so I guess, you know, we had a bunch of news dropped on, you know, on the during the blue and gold game for Notre Dame's schedule, right? We had all our kickoff times for, for home. But <clears throat> per normal, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen with Notre Dame when they're on the road. Uh, other than the fact is you can guarantee that most of those are probably going to be primetime games. Uh, and one recently just got announced. Uh, Notre Dame thought it was cool to announce this during commencement. I, I, I guess I don't see the correlation there uh, between a kickoff time and commencement. But um, so the the Labor Day game against Louisville, uh, 8 p.m. It's an 8 p.m. game on ESPN. Labor Day, I think we were all pretty sure it was going to be a night game. Uh, but, dude, there, there seems to be a lot of pissed off people about this. Do you think it's because it's it's the Monday game? Um, or just people that just don't like night games in, uh, in general. I, I mean, it's, this know, is like a night game in California, right? It's, this, it's, this is down in Louisville. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Um, the look at eight o'clock on Monday Labor Day. You know, Labor Day, your Labor Day weekend, your Labor Day festivities are over. In fact, at eight p.m. on Monday, you're probably looking forward to. Um, school starting back Sunscreen. up for, for a lot of states, you know what I mean? Um, whether it be that Tuesday or, or, or Thursday that they start, um, that's probably where your focus is. So maybe that's annoying people. Look, as a guy with young children that go to bed at a reasonable hour, and by reasonable, I say, uh, you know, between 7 and 7.45, an 8 o'clock kick is great for me. But I get that it, it's nightmare for a lot of people. Um, I, you know, I don't think people on the West coast probably mind very much. Um, but you know, eight o'clock, I, I'm, if, if I'm for completely selfish reasons, I like it. Um, I, I just, this is your sub headline on the story was exactly how I felt, which is, I, I honestly would have told you, oh yeah, it's probably a seven thirty or eight o'clock kickoff. Like I thought this had been resolved months ago. So yeah, the oh, fact yeah. that they were dropping this as news and saying, well, they're going to play in prime time. It's like, well, no, duh. I mean, I don't know the. I'm not familiar with the college football schedule, but I can't imagine there are many other teams playing on that Labor Day Monday. And in it fact, it may be, be the only game. I think it used to be like Miami, Florida, my, you know, Miami and Florida or not Miami, Florida, but Miami, and Florida State seemed to play a, quite a few years in a row on Labor Day. Um, if I'm if my memory serves me right. And I, I but I thought those were more day games. Um uh, and I'm probably completely wrong, so everyone's laughing at me. But, <laughs> but I, I, I just don't understand the point of playing a day game on Labor Day. No, uh, I don't either. So if it's a, la- that's what I'm saying. If it's a Labor Day game, the the, the sense would be that it, yeah, it's a Monday night. You know, you don't have to compete with the NFL, and that's part of the point, right? Like there's a Monday, there's a Monday night football audience already built into America. And well, I, I was also thinking about my local union solidarity parade. You know what I mean? I mean, Labor Day is a big day for celebrations and stuff like that. Oh, not yeah. only barbecues, but um, for union workers, uh, for yeah, hey, parades hey, and I'm, stuff like I'm that. A, so. I, am, uh, I am union and proud. And and, and uh, maybe every other year I make it to the parade because the other years we're up the lake. But uh, but yeah, you know, Labor Day is a big day in, in, some, in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess... I guess for me, you know, night games, 
I, you know, I, I go around with it. Like night games at Notre Dame are really awesome. Like, but I like them like one a season, uh, having two in one season seem like a bit much. Like, look, when you're working the game, when you're at the game, you're up in the box. I'm, I'm telling you the, the game, it, you get out of there so late, like for a three 30 kickoff, you know, I'm probably not leaving Notre Dame until 1230, 1 AM anyways. And that's for a three 30 kickoff. So it's a right around, and it's kind of like right around that time anyways for an eight o'clock kickoff, but everything is like rushed to the max, which sure. is kind of good. Cause you're not sitting in that damn, you know, press room after the game for an hour and 15 minutes or whatever. Notre Dame makes you wait so long, wait for Brian Kelly. But so like my whole, my attitude like towards that has changed just because my, the way I work the games has changed. Um, but like on the road, it, get, it to me, it's a little more, it's a little bothersome when they always have to be, they seem so many of them are on night games. I like a good noon game on the road. Like I am a huge fan of like noon on the road. You know, let's get it. Let's get it over with. Um, you know, and well, that, like, and I guess that's, that's what this Labor Day kind of bothers me just a little bit. Cause you know, you go this long, the college football off season is long and it is painful. And so for Notre Dame to, the way they start off their season with the Labor Day game and then you're off that sat. So there's this like weird pause, you know, in the season uh, that, you know, you're waiting for the action and then there's just, yeah. you know, there's not a whole lot that, you know, yeah, that, that, that'll be, you haven't experienced part. that yet, but you're going to, and I've given it a lot of thought. You're not going to like it very much. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, maybe, I mean, we, maybe some of you will, but I don't know. I, I felt that way last year with the Michigan game, right? Champing at the bit waiting for, um, you know, the Michigan yeah. game to start because it was a 730 kick. But that that at least happened on a Saturday. I mean, this one's this one's on a Monday. Um, so you're going to be you're going to feel like it's taking forever to, to watch your favorite team play. I, I, I absolutely get that. I get your point about a lot of late late games. I, I understand. I like a good variety. I, I'm I'm most interested, honestly, in why many of the games have been moved. The home games have been moved back to two thirty as opposed to three thirty. I, I don't know what yeah, made there that hasn't change. been a reason why they like they did that, right? Like right. No I one's... mean, I, I get that the press corps seems to love it, but I don't think that, that that was the reason why they did it. So um, when I was in school, they used to do uh, switch between two thirty and three thirty games because the time was actually changing. Um, yeah, the time was changing, right? So. Right. Or the time wasn't changing, or everybody was changing around the time. I suppose they right, right? That's how it went. Right, Notre Dame's right, time right. wasn't changing, but in terms of how it affected on the East Coast and stuff like that. So, um, but I want to go back to one thing you said, which is you like those noon kicks, which opens the door for a conversation that that you and I were having about uh, Fox Games deciding yeah. that that twelve o'clock is their new uh, prime time window, and they're going to try their best to have uh some of their marquee games happening at noon now before you go any further for once i want i want to interject sure. on something on that so i was listening to um uh to to bruce and Stu on their podcast and Stu was asking bruce about you know about this that they were going to have their new games and basically i think their fox's thinking is this is that and it and it's solid and you know in their thought process here everyone's everyone's hyped at noon on Saturdays, Corso's got the hat on the head. Everyone's ready to go. But then they like ESPN like passes it off to like Rutgers and Bloomington. <laughs> you know? So you get all this hype and then and most most of your noon games are are not very cool. Rutgers you're not, versus you're not, Purdue. You're not yeah. watching the new game until like two thirty, 
three o'clock, right? Like some of them were good. So like, oh shit, you know, let me get back to it and, you know, and watch that. So I think Fox's thinking is, is they, they want to capitalize, even though they have their own whole pregame thing going on, they're smart enough to know that everyone's pretty juiced up by noon to get a, get some good action. If they have a good game, that's where everyone's going to go. Cause if the other noon games are crap, what's everyone going to watch? Even if they're not your, that's, that, that is the, especially the, the game that you're watching when your team's not on, right? You're already on the couch and you're ready to go when you're at home. Hey, I'm going to watch this game because that's the best game that's on right now. I mean, that's right. just common and, sense. And weekends in which it's Texas and Oklahoma or Ohio state and Michigan as the noon game are much more fun than ones where we're, we're just like, okay, well I'm picking between USF and Tulane and, <laughs> you know, Minnesota and Indiana, you know? And it's just like, I'll wa- look, it's college football. I'll watch it all. But um, I'm a hundred percent with Fox's thinking on this because, and I think their names involved a little bit too, in the way that they move, because I think that and that's what I was, I was, I was leaning yeah, this, the seven thirty. I think the two thirty. Well, I think the two thirty kickoffs are because they want to put the product out there before they get to the three thirty games. Sure, they want to they, since they they since they control their own. I mean, they can do whatever they want, right? Uh, NBC and Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, their partnership. I think they want to capitalize on on the fact that you know they could put a quality pr- uh, product out there at two thirty that people will be tuning in on regardless of fandom uh, is what, what their hope is. Uh, and, and it's sound. And I, or if the, the new game is a, if the new game is a snoozer and you're literally watching the clock, waiting for the three thirty games to kick off, then why wouldn't you flip over to the two thirty game for an hour? Right. At and least. Like, and like Feldman said on the podcast too, he was, he, he said, you know, it's not like every week is going to have this awesome noon game on Fox. You know, no, there, there's no. going to be some weeks where they're, they're not so great. He's like, but the weeks that they have a chance to do that, you know, then it'll be good. But it won't be like every week we'll have like this premier game at noon. Um, they'll try to put the best thing out there. And I, I think, as we know, college football season, it can turn on a dime in a heartbeat. And so some games, you know, that looked great preseason aren't so great anymore. Notre Dame fans know that exactly. Like, look, just look at Florida State. Um you know, last year. And then there's times where all of a sudden, like, oh man, this this team came out of nowhere and it's having a hell of a season. This is gonna be a good game. So Right. And and I, I think it's important for Notre Dame fans to remember that this is not Bobby Petrino and Brian Van Gorder's Louisville Cardinals that we're 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 gonna <laughs> run into on, on Labor Day Monday. You know what I mean? Like I would think that this is a new era, new coach. Um it's gonna be it's gonna be hype on on eight o'clock on Monday night. Like this is a this is a big game for Louisville people and i think louisville people uh should turn out and will turn out so oh, i think it's gonna be a i think it's gonna be a pretty intense atmosphere uh look say what you want about louisville but just my i guess just what i've witnessed and seen over the course of 25 years or whatnot of like paying attention because i've got i kind of half-assed pay attention to louisville um more so than you know than other programs and speaking of their football program this is nothing to do with basketball at all is that those fans are ready to turn out? Like they're like those guys are down for the cause, but you got but they got to put in the work for it. So putting a new era out there, first game, new era, post Petrino, post BVG, post horrible season. I think their fans are are, are ready to go. You know that Louisville is a is a school that has had 
great success in athletics um, for being a city named college. You know that, uh, that that's my own personal thing about city named colleges, but <laughs> but uh, I, I won't dive into that in this podcast. But it's a it, it's a great thought. Uh, maybe on a off the rails, uh, I'll dive into it. But um, their fans are their fans are hyped, and I think they're ready for this. And uh, and I think that that game is going to be a really fun game to, to you know watch. It's going to remind Before me of, the I, I, you know, what I think what's going to remind me of is that 2005 game, Charlie yeah. Weiss's first game, but more importantly, Dave Wanstead's first game, right? The first game I believe was played at Pitt that year. Yeah. Right? Another city, recall. another city name school. Man. <laughs> and so, and, and I recall there being a great amount of enthusiasm. It wasn't so much that Pitt had been great in previous years or whatever, but it was Dave Wanstead, you know, from, from, uh, you know, the NFL was coming and from they were the going to days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, all of a sudden the, the the script was coming back out. You know what I mean? Like people were were thinking this was the return to the Marino uh, Tony Dorsett days or whatever. It didn't work out that way, but it just No, the it wasn't the script. Of- they went to the block pit. They thought that was, they thought that was a big deal and it was really just a curse because you never should have got rid of the script pit anyway. Yeah, there you go. So, anyway, idiots. That's why <laughs> <laughs> idiots doing idiot things. I mean, you uh, got the great, you got the best, you got some of the best uniforms, color combinations, and all of college football, and you just freaking abandoned it to be Notre Dame or pseudo Notre Dame with your color scheme. Right. Like, how why would you, why would you do that? You were so cool, and then you know, then they had the. I mean, there was blogs literally started uh, for Pitt just because of that. Uh, <laughs> and this goes back like two thousand. I've ever got. Guys I used to talk to, pit bloggers back in 2007, 2008, 2009, that was the whole reason they started their blogs was to get the pit script back. Um, so it only took, you know, a little over a decade. <laughs> so, yeah. So, hey, a prime oh, time so game on the road. The, the, last thing on the, road. I, the last thing I wanted to mention was, and you brought it up to me, the Notre Dame game this year against Michigan is at Michigan. Um, and so in terms of who controls the rights, I mean, we certainly know that Fox does, um, broadcast big 10 games. I mean, is it possible that that October 26th game is a noon start instead of a primetime deal? Yeah, I think it's, I think there's a, I, I really need to look, I told you this before, we probably need to look and see how the pick process goes. Um, but I, I, to me, it seems like there is a strong possibility that that could be the case. And I am not afraid of that. I I think that's a that could be a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, just thinking back to 2013, which I think was the last time they played in Ann Arbor. That was a primetime Saturday night ABC type, you know, uh, Fowler and Herb Street type deal or whatever. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that we're saying that Fox is the only bid bid person here or that they have the rights or that it's going to be a noon game. We're just saying, I think it's in the po- the realm of possibility. Yeah, um, there's a there's a contract turns- somewhere that states out who gets what, when, when or who yeah. gets to decide what they have. I mean, Michigan could tank like three games before that, right? Sure, I mean, they're they're Michigan, right? I mean, and then who gets it, State and, on the schedule this year or no? Yeah, then who really gives a shit about the, that game? So, right. Um, right. except for you know, except for Michigan and Notre Dame. So who knows what goes on with with that? But I think the possibility of that being a noon game does exist. All right, everybody got that. So so there's a road game right there that isn't a primetime game. Uh, so that is, you know, hell, that's breaking news. 
Um, <laughs> or, or could be when, when they finally announce. When they finally announce, right? Yeah, which would be like, what, the week and a half bef- before the game? Six days like, before the game, yeah. Yeah, uh, like, oh, thanks, you know, for the... Unless the team suck, and then, you know, then we already know the answer, so. <laughs> yeah, what a what a stupid sport college football is. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's, so, uh, it's so awesome, and it is just the dumbest, uh, the way it operates. It's so amazing. <laughs> God, I love it. Um, all right, so... Got we got some more. We got a little bit of time left, and something else we want to talk about. Another article that Jude wrote uh, this week, and that was about uh, the elite athletes that Notre Dame will will face this year. And and I do want to talk about them, but I was actually pretty, I, I, I was pretty took back. I was kind of insulted that some Notre Dame fans felt insulted that we don't have saying, well, you know, Notre Dame doesn't have elite players, and. I mean, I guess that that's like a common thinking across the country for non-Irish fans who just like, who basically, you know, basically just pile on. You know, if you hate someone, like we hate Michigan, right? So we're not, there's not gonna be a whole lot of good things we ever say about Michigan ever, period. So that's, that's okay. But for your own fan base to, to claim that there's no elite players and then you're watching like all these first round draft picks over the Brian Kelly era, it doesn't, it doesn't quite add up. And, you know, so my answer to them, as far as elite players, like, well, I'm pretty sure Julian Aquara is an elite player. He's a guy that's, that's talked about going in the first round, first round NFL draft seems elite to me. Right. Sure. And even, and it, staying away from like the whole NFL value thing. Cause I think there's elite players within the realm of college football that don't relate to the NFL. Um, and I think, Khalid Kareem is one of those guys. I think Alohi Gilman, who was rated as the number one safety in the country last year, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, which a lot of people are putting a lot of stock into PFF, uh, their ratings over the last couple of years, it seems like. You know, they like him a lot. Uh, I think Notre Dame has a handful of guys uh, yeah, that we I can mean, consider I, I college, just... college elite. Not necessarily like first round material, and that's okay. But I think college elite guys, I, th- I think they got more than – I mean, it's basically like all-American status, right? Like, are you on a, a first or second team all-American group? I think Notre Dame boasts a handful of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I also look at it as first two days of the NFL draft, right? And that basically gets you up to basically the first 100 guys. Right. Um, I, you know, I didn't um, make note of it in the, in the article because the article was about the opposition and not about right. Notre Dame. Um, but you know, the big boards that I looked at definitely had, uh, Julian Aquara. They definitely had Khalid Kareem. They definitely had Alohi Gilman, as you mentioned. Um, one of them had Tommy Kramer. I believe another one had Liam Eikenberg. So, um, there are people that are highly regarded that play for Notre Dame. This is not, um, uh, you know, there was a commenter who, who said, well, I guess we shouldn't even bother to show up against Georgia because I picked three Georgia guys as part as the five elite athletes that that, that we face against. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not suggesting yeah, but, that Notre Dame but, not show up. In fact, I'd really appreciate it if Notre Dame did show up against Georgia. Cause I think that would make that a lot more. I don't exciting. know what that guy was like, <laughs> but, uh, um, look, Georgia, look, Georgia has a very talented team and there's, there's a lot of players um, that are getting a lot of preseason recognition. Yeah, who would uh, ever dispute that Georgia has for for being good? Players. No, I mean, yeah, but th- this, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you know Notre Dame can't give them a game, and you know, and 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 because I didn't mention uh, Khalid Kareem or Julian Aquara, my story doesn't mean that they can't 
you know, gets Jake Fromm or, um, you know, stuff DeAndre Swift in the backfield for a loss of two or, or whatever, you know? So um, I think that that's going to be a great matchup and it's going to be elite players on both sides of, of the equation. So and no one should have taken away from that article and said, okay, these guys are legitimate. Notre Dame doesn't have anybody like this. That's legitimate on their team. That's, that's, uh, that's definitely not true. And that's definitely not what I was suggesting. You know, the thing that makes me this kind of the saddest about Georgia's roster is isn't Deandre Swift from, from Pennsylvania, like from Harrisburg. Yeah. Yeah. He's like from around the same area as the rocket basically. Right. Isn't Harris. It, I, I may just sounded stupid there. Harrisburg is in Western PA, right? Um, or Eastern PA. Uh, you know, to be honest with that, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, right. I don't know. <laughs> Damn it! I we should have. I, I should I'm not up on my right. uh, open up my mouth. Pennsylvania geography. At, at any rate, he's from Pennsylvania, which yeah. has been over the course of the last 50 years to Notre Dame. It's been a, a strong state for them recruiting wise. I don't remember them ever recruiting Swift. Now that could be for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, but it is sad that that a Pennsylvania guy uh, who he was I as mean, good Harris- as he is. You yeah, know, Harrisburg it, looks like it's dead center in the, uh, the yes, state. Yes, so I was completely wrong. I, 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 I kept, it makes sense. I kept thinking, that. anyways, but uh, just it, it, to, for all the players down south, for a guy, <laughs> for a guy from Pennsylvania to take off, to go, you know, to go down to Georgia, uh, it just I don't know. It just makes you kind of sad watching him because he's a really, really fantastic athlete. I think he was a he was a freshman in 2017, right? When when yeah. they came up to their name, yeah, yeah, so, actually. And, he had, a, he, had a, he had a touchdown or a big run called back. Uh, you know, it's something I remember that game because we were like, oh, my God. Like, thank God for that fly. Yeah, he pinballed off uh, Drew Tranquil, I believe, uh, one of the big runs that he had. So, what, you trying um, to throw Drew Tranquil in my face? And no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> just a point of clarification. Uh, DeAndre Swift is apparently from Philadelphia. Uh, oh. Bryce Hall, who's also named in my article, was from Harrisburg. So, uh, again, well, I don't know if. I don't know. Well, if they, then I was right with the. I was right at least with the Eastern PA. Yeah, yeah. You know, get, get, get at least closer to where. Yeah, Philadelphia is definitely. From, I mean, from that's, that's, Bar. that's Mike McGlinchey, uh, Josh Adams territory. I mean, they're they're not. They're certainly familiar Those with the New Jersey, Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. I don't. know. You can drive. Ain't there. no party like a Scranton party. <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> so, but you know, so you know, in this article, you know, you do have a lot of. Uh, you pay a lot of attention to the Georgia players, but then there's, you know, there's guys like, like Walter Little, which isn't a name that I think 99.8% of Notre Dame fans would ever bring up. Um, but he's a really big and really good uh, left tackle for Stanford. Yeah. I just, it was fun to go back and say, okay, everyone thinks very highly of this guy. Let's see what he did against Notre Dame. And I, I had a, a little preview because pro football focus actually gave him his lowest grade of the year for Notre Dame. And I said, Oh, he didn't have a great game against Notre Dame. Let me just watch the highlights. And the first half was actually good. It was, I don't know if it was fatigue or injury because he was, he had suffered an injury. Um, I think it was a shoulder injury uh, that had nagged him throughout the year or whatever. And so that sort of hurt him. Um, but the third quarter is sort of where everything just sort of blew up for him. Um, so I made note of the plays that you can go back and, and watch or whatever and, you know, the poor guy had been holding his own against, I, I think, you know, some really great, um, you know, uh, ends, but also occasionally matched up with Jerry Tillery. 
And then he just he started getting beaten like a redhead mule uh, in, in, in the third quarter. Um, so he did not have his best game. So I think if you were just to judge him up based off of that, uh, you would say, I don't get it. I don't, what's the big deal. And, you know, obviously, um, he was dealing with that injury. So some of that, some of this, some of the love for him is because he was a five-star coming out of high school and because, um, he's a, he's a huge dude. I mean, it, for, for a guy whose name is, uh, little, I mean, he's not, he's not little. Right. And so I, there's a, there seems like there's been a, a lot, a strong amount of, uh, littles, uh, as, as like offensive tackle or offensive linemen throughout the year in college football that have been, been considered like some of the better ones. And <laughs> like, it seems like there's a lot of Greg littles, <laughs> although the, I guess the other Greg little was a uh, running back slash uh, receiver, but the, there's a lot of littles out there that ain't so little. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You want, so, hey, you want to, you want to see something amazing? Sure. We'll see. I'm going to do something amazing here. Right. So we're, we're talking about these, these, uh, uh, elite players. Watch this. So speaking of elite players, let's talk about Bryce Hall, who actually is from Harrisburg <laughs> and plays for Virginia, who is the team that, most Notre Dame fans are afraid to play because it's after Georgia. Man, I just tied that all together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, wa- I really enjoyed watching it. Again, I don't have an opportunity to watch a lot of Virginia football. Um, so I, I, part See, they of the... seem like they're a noon game-ish program. I feel like I watch quite a bit of the Who's over the, over the last you know, four or five years. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I have paid attention to him. I, I was actually quite impressed with Virginia last year. Yeah. Uh, I just was really impressed. I, again, I started with a list of, you know, the, try to build a consensus amongst, I think seven or eight guys I looked at for big boards or mock drafts or wh- whatever was that, whatever was out there. And Bryce Hall's name just kept coming up. So I said, all right, well, you know, let, let's give him a look or whatever. And uh, just so impressed with the way, that he uses his big frame to uh, to really box the receiver out of the play a lot of time or jump yeah, he's over six them. One, or, he's 6'1", yep. 200 pounds. He's, he's yeah. a big corner. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's – he's uh, and he's, you know, stride yeah. for stride, hip for hip uh, uh, with a lot of these guys. And, you know, these these quarterbacks are trying to make these throws, and he's just getting up and, and he batting him away or, and he's got good closing speed too. Actually, a lot of the plays reminded me of Julian love where you don't see him in the frame. And then all of a sudden he gets that big paw in there and all, and it knocks it away at the last right. second, or he is strong in terms of his hands. Uh, I saw a couple of plays where uh, it was like a jump ball type situation with the receiver and the receiver thought he had it. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, uh, punched out of his hands at the, at the last second. So I was I was impressed, and I think he's gonna be he's gonna be trouble. Um, so yeah, you know, and he played. You know, if, if people remember, Bronco Mendehall's is is he plays aggressive. He plays like his coach. You know how they like to play defense. They play. He plays aggressive as a corner, meaning that he's he's very competitive, very handsy. You know, because he has that big frame, he's gonna use it, and so. I think fans are going to watch him and they're going to hate him more than appreciate how good he is because they're going to, you know, you could be, you could probably call pass interference a few more times, but that's the kind of guy that we're going to end up facing. That's why we're, that's why you put him in the elite status is because when he's going to contest 
those passes every time. And some of them are going to look a little, a little shifty because a, his frame, he's such a large guy and that, and he's an aggressive player uh, that plays on an aggressive defense. So yeah, that's a, that's a guy that, that's a guy that, that we're probably not going to want to see. You know, that's why the Virginia game is circled for a lot of us uh, after that Georgia game, whether you win or lose out at Athens, uh, this game is, is one of those, is probably lining up to be one of those games. Right. It's not the four and eight team in 2015 that you, that, you know, that played with uh, Malik Zaire getting hurt and, and Deshaun Kaiser coming in at the end to throw that. I mean, get that out of your mind. If you think Virginia is going to be a cakewalk, it's, it's really Hell, quite the opposite. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't a cakewalk. It should have been based on their record and how they played the rest of the remainder of the year. It's almost like we stole their spirit at the, uh, in that second game, but you mean, you mean um, someone might be lying dead over the edge of the uh, seat there? <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, it's possible. So, all right. Well, hey guys, I I think that's gonna do it for tonight. Uh, you know, for what we got for you. Um, thanks for tuning in, uh, Jude. Uh, let's let's do some um, let's do some parting shots. Uh, anything you you want to put out there tonight? Um, I just want to say that. Um, you know, you have to when you come to special um, spending your precious dollars that you earn, uh, you know, sometimes there's a lot of glossy, uh, fancy pitches and, and lots of great deals in terms of some of these premium sites. And I'm not here to tell you that one site sucks or one site's mediocre or whatever. Uh, I am here to tell you about one that I, I really like. Um, Notre Dame Insider. It's the South Bend Tribune's product. Uh, Eric Hansen, Carter Carell's. Uh, Tyler James being the three principal guys. And obviously if you're a basketball guy, uh, Tom Noy on the, on the men's side and Anthony Anderson on the, on the women's side, I think they do a fantastic job. Um, I just re-upped for the, for the third year with them. And uh, I've been really happy. I feel like I get my money's worth. And uh, it's one of two sites that I subscribe to at the moment. And uh, you know, there's not a lot of dollars to go around to, uh, to, to be buying premium content, but I think that one is worth it. So um, if you guys haven't tried it, I, I, there's a, like a 99 cent version where you can try it for a day and, and see if it's for you. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out because I think it's, I think it's money well spent. All right. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a big thing, right? Like where you're down. Do- I mean, there's always so much money that people want to, like we cover the sport. So we probably spend, I, I know I do. I probably spend more on average than most fans um, here and there, but um I only subscribe to one uh, Notre Dame uh, pay site. Uh, I, I won't divulge which one that is, uh, but um, it's definitely not uh, one that starts with R and ends with S. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, for fucking sure, uh, I don't. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I like I like the local guys a lot. I mean, I like I like Tyler, I like Eric, and I like Carter. Um, and I think that you and I have we've we've talked quite a bit about. Uh, uh, you know, over the course of the summer, you know, we're going to need some things to talk about. We're going to have some more guests on. Uh, it won't just be us uh, BSing up here. Um, we'll get Brad back out from the bar, but, uh, <laughs> but I think we'll, we'll try to get Carter and, and Tyler's. So those guys, uh, cause I, I like the local flavor um, for a lot of things. So, okay. Uh, it, hey, for me, um, oh man, you know, I, I'm such an airhead. I, I had something. T- I had something totally in my head, and it and it slipped out. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> like, 
so I just want to I want to add one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. We got to remember. Um, Hesburgh has finally arrived in Syracuse, New York. It's opened up in 20 more cities. Uh, if you heard us uh, two or three weeks ago, we had Jerry Barker on the podcast. He's a producer and I believe co-writer on, on Hesburgh is a documentary film about the life of, of, of Father Ted Hesburgh, who was not only the University of Notre Dame president, but he also was an amazing American. So um, we had a good turnout tonight at the first evening screening. It was about uh, 35 people, so which is great for actually for, the, for a film of this size. Uh, so we're going to try to keep the momentum going. But if you haven't uh, checked it out recently in terms of uh, they're adding new cities every day, so HesburghFilm.com. Uh, check it out, and there's 20, 20, more site, 20 more cities that they're in starting uh, today. Yeah, I I think I definitely go see Hesburgh. I, th- I think what I was going to talk about was actually about recruiting. Uh, Notre Dame's looking to get some big news next week, uh, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Tyree, please come, right? Yeah, no doubt. Get here. Elite at- and, hey, we can put him in the elite athlete category, right? And we Can, can we do whoosh again? No, we can't do whoosh. Okay, all right. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it from us. And uh, go Irish. <laughs>